Well, good morning. I want to welcome you to Kesson Church. If you've never been here before, my name is Danny, and uh, you came to a great service. This is a, a historical service for our community because we're going to be announcing all kinds of things uh, which I have never announced or spoke about before in any of my ministry career, so I'm not even sure how well I'm going to do. Got a lot of elders in the audience today with thumbs ups and thumbs down looks on their faces, so uh, we're hoping that, uh, <laughs> we're hoping that uh, this comes across really clear and, and really special and really honoring, and uh, that's, that's our goal. So I'm going to pray that God accomplishes exactly that in spite of me, in spite of, uh, of uh, anything else that uh, could distract us from really hearing about this thing that we think God is doing in our church. And so let us pray, and then we'll jump right in. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so very much for the people that you have brought today to hear this message. Thank you so very much, Lord, for the story that, that you want to tell, for the way that you've been telling it, using our hands and our feet and our voices. God, we ask that more than anything else, this message would, would bring glory to you, to your story to the way you're moving with us and within the world, and especially, God, to the kingdom that you oversee. We praise you, Lord. We give you glory. We set all these things before you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to start off today uh, by welcoming you to the new series, Canvas. And uh, this entire series is going to kind of revolve around this idea that, that we are God's masterpieces and that Everything that God brings into our life between us and the things that God brings in our life have the ability to bring glory to God if we allow it. I want to set a tone at, before I get too far into the series, though, and I want to use Scripture to do it because there's really no other way that I know of to set true, solid, I guess what you might say, eternal tone. I want to talk about three things, and these are fairly churchy things, which aren't very common for me, but every once in a while when you're talking about the kind of church stuff we're talking about, it's important to go back to churchy things. So I have three primary things I'm going to talk about today, and it's, it's fairly straightforward. It's God's promise, God's people, and God's plan. Pretty straightforward, pretty easy, but it may not be revealed quite how you think. We'll start off with God's promise. You may remember back in the book of Deuteronomy, God had this idea to create a people, right? And he, he chose a people from among the earth, and he said, I'm going to make these my people. In Deuteronomy 1.8, he speaks to uh, uh, Abraham and says, see, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them and to their offspring after them. 650 years later, there stands on a hillside a man. And this man's name is Joshua, and he's looking out towards Jericho. And this is an actual picture looking across the Jordan, uh, out towards the city of Jericho that, that is known as the promised land. And this man is standing on this hillside with a massive group of people who all believe in the promises of God but have no idea how they're going to accomplish it because it takes God's people often to realize that God is even making a promise in the first place for God's promise to be accomplished. And these people are just now realizing that. God wants to use them. They are sick and brokenhearted desert wanderers. They are slaves, frankly. They really have nothing to offer and they really shouldn't be there in this place. They're just God's people. They're the ones that God promised he would take into the land. And this day, they're about to receive it. So Joshua and God, they have a conversation. And God speaks to Joshua and he says, I'm going to use you to accomplish this, these things. If you have a Bible, turn to Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. We'll start partway through that verse. 
when God finally says to Joshua, Joshua, I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be very strong and courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? And then he says these words for a third time. Look at it. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, what I like about this story is when you reverse engineer that particular verse and you take it into real life and real time, everyone in this room realizes, when do you tell your children to be strong and courageous? When do you tell your children not to be afraid? When they're afraid. I have never walked up to my daughter in a park swinging on a swing, daredevil as she was as a small child, and said, Elena, be strong and courageous. You can do this. Do not be a, ah! I've never done that. I only do it when she's at my side, when she's nervous, when, when, she's, when she's shaking with fear, when she has anxiety, when she doesn't want to move into the place that I feel like she should move into or that she must move into. This verse is such a wonderful picture, yes, of God, but even better of Joshua and of the people following Joshua. For they were not strong and courageous. They looked out over the land and all that God promised them. And they looked at themselves and said, we talked about this last week, I know more about me and my dysfunction than I do about God and his holiness, and so I'm afraid. We do this a lot. We look at God's promises, we look at God's people, and we say, this math does not add up. How is this going to be accomplished? The only way it's going to be accomplished is with this third, very churchy thing called God's plan. And he does a lot of it. Joshua 3, 5 says that Joshua somewhere within himself resolved to follow God. He decided that he was going to move into the promised land and he was going to lead these people. And so he went and encouraged the people and he told them, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Another verse, I think it's the King James Version, says the Lord will do wondrous things among you. This is before God had done anything for Joshua. But he believed that God promised him something, and he believed that in spite of who he was, that he was chosen to be one of God's people. And so he decided to step out and follow God's plan. And then in Joshua 3.10, he says, here is how you will know that the living God is among you. And he told the people, we're going to take the Ark of the Covenant, not across the dry land a few miles that way, not across here, but right through the River Jordan during flood stage. Can you imagine being those people? You're like, I'm, strong. I'm, not gonna, I'm gonna be strong and courageous. We've got a good leader. He's solid. He understands desert life. He understands leading a crowd this big. He's gonna come up with a solid, secure uh, plan for us to move over the next three months or maybe camp here until the river recedes. Don't worry about it, kids. It's gonna be fine. And he's like, all right, here's the thing. We're going tomorrow. We're going tomorrow. And we're going through the deepest part of the river. <laughs> now, the point of this is what? So that God could show them wondrous things. Because God is constantly reminding us that we are his people and that he is the one who brings true the promises. And so the people 
decide to follow God. And so those carrying the Ark of the Covenant put it upon their shoulders, and they begin to move into that river. And sure enough, the waters part once again. The waters part once again, Scripture says, to the point that they're walking on dry ground. Can you imagine? Can you imagine seeing this, experiencing this, and not just experiencing this miracle, but what's on the other side of the miracle is once again, like with the Egyptians, salvation and home and belonging. And so these people move across these river, this river and accomplish this great thing. I want to read it to you so you really can understand it. Joshua 4, 19 through 24. This is what it says. The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. And they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And what the people did was grab 12 stones. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. They took these large 12 stones that God commanded them, and they stacked them in a large pile near this area where they crossed, and they called this the same thing that it was called in previous scripture. They called it an Ebenezer. And this Ebenezer was a monument to the power of God, to the incredibleness of God, to the all people of all the earth that the hand of the Lord is mighty. I have a picture of an Ebenezer, uh, actually, uh, that was stacked that has been put up over and over and over again to remind people of a special thing that happened in that place. And this idea of the Ebenezer is actually what I want to talk to you today about. I don't want to talk to you about the promised land. I don't want to talk to you about uh, fear and discouragement. I don't want to talk to you about trusting God. I think you know a lot of that stuff. I think you know it because today's a very churchy sermon. And I'm talking a lot of churchy stuff. What I don't think we do very often in church, though, is stop and memorialize. I don't think we build Ebenezers very well anymore. In Hebrew, the word Ebenezer means stone of help. This Ebenezer that they built in the book of Joshua is quite literally a monument set to remember the great help that God granted the ones that were raising the stones. It seems the Lord recognized the tendency of us as natural man to quickly forget our God. And so he commanded that this be built, and they built them. And they built them before this, and they built them after this. They were a people that wanted the generations after them to see the hand of God in their life. And not just take for granted his promises his people, and his plans. I want to note in your minds how particularly significant it is in Scripture that the children of the generations to come remember the power that God was showing them. That, that this Ebenezer was a witness to what God was doing in current times for generations to come. I want you to note that because I think that's one thing we don't do well as a community. We don't build things or leave things for generations and generations and generations. We lean into scripture and we lean into what God teaches us. But part of the time we don't put anything in place to help direct people's minds. Especially when they're wandering. Especially when they're hurting. Especially when they're broken and lost within themselves like these slave people were. We often... Don't build things that people can find in the deserts of their journeys to come to and say, I don't know much, but I know that one day God did something powerful here. 
I want him to do something powerful in my life again. Perhaps we should do better at this. Perhaps each experience that we have with the Spirit could be like placing a stone on our own personal monument, reminding us of God's hand in our lives. Perhaps we're too focused on the promised land and not on the Ebenezers of God's power, reminding us of God's power. And so we cross over the waters, come back, and we move on to plant our farms and build our cities and raise our families. All the while, God's like, have you told them what I did to get you here? Now, I think these things are really important, and I particularly love this story, but I don't really like the story without what it's supposed to reflect, and that is Jesus. Everything in the Bible reflects Jesus, and without Jesus, the story is just another story of a group of people that experienced some kind of saving miracle and then, you know, built something to remind them of the miracle. I think that that's oftentimes why we don't do this anymore, because we forget that 1,200 years after this story, there stands another man within that very promised land. And he looks on the face of his followers who are those people. And he wants to execute a plan. And this man, of course, is Christ. See, Christ is the actual promise of God. He is the living promise of God. Christ came for the sick and brokenhearted desert wanderers of the world. Jesus called them God's people. Christ trusted the Lord's will in all his ways. Jesus lived out God's plan. And here's where it gets, here's where the Bible just kind of, you just got to, you got to step outside the preacher and the, and the, and everything else that might be distracting you and hear this one simple thing. Christ came as God's promise for God's people to execute God's plan. And then Christ himself was raised as an Ebenezer for all humankind to see and remember. He is the Ebenezer. He is why there are Ebenezers. Because he was raised for all humankind to experience the single greatest loving kindness this world has ever seen. And to this day, people are looking back and telling people about the Ebenezer of Jesus, about the cross of Jesus, about the story of Jesus, about what Jesus did. We wear him around our neck. We have him tattooed on our bodies. Some of us, we, 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 we experience this place in our mind's eyes because it was so well lifted high because of he who was willing to be lifted so low. He is our Ebenezer. He is the reason this has always happened. And he is the, the greatest thread inside this story today. Because 2,000 years later, there stood another group of people. 2,000 years later, there stood another group of people who believed God's promises still, who looked back at the Ebenezer of Jesus and his cross and decided that they were going to plant a church. The year that they planted that church was 1887. They planted it right here in Vancouver, two years before uh, Washington was a state. These people were praying and fasting and seeking the will of God because they believed in God's promise. They believed that they were God's people, and they believed that God would execute his plan in their lives. They believed the verse, Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. 
And they considered Vancouver part of that creation, even though hardly anybody lived here at the time. And so they prayed, and they met, and they worshipped, and they sang, and they pulled together their money, and they built a very small, little tiny church. They called that church First Baptist. And they held services there for years and years and years. They had a myriad of church buildings and a myriad of pastors. Until eventually in 1955, all the resources of all those who came before them and all the resources of those who lived during that time decided to pull it all together to build one single building, an Ebenezer, if you will, in downtown Vancouver. These are actually the blueprints for that building. I found them. They're going to be framed in the building, by the way, in case you're wondering. They are the logo that we put up that you saw that says canvas. These are pretty special. These have a lot of thought in them and a lot of prayer in them and a lot of financial sacrifice in them. These blueprints are what built and gave direction to this, this, these, these, these people of God who believed in the promises of God who then decided that they would be willing to go ahead and work out the plan of God to, to physically build a church. And that's exactly what they did. Fast forward 61 years from 1955. That'd be now. <laughs> all of you born in 55 are like, dang it. <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. Don't worry about it. Today, God's promises still remain. I still believe in Mark 16, 15, that we are supposed to go out into all the world and proclaim the gospel of the whole creation. And I still believe Vancouver is part of all the world. I was born here. A lot of you were. Some of you moved here. I believe we're called to this place to make a difference. I believe that not only do God's promises remain, but God's people remain. Us. That we are still part of that legacy of faith that looks back to the cross, the Ebenezer of Jesus lifted high, who are reminding still today of his gospel love. In November of 2016, we as a church uh, needed a place to do baptisms. Clark doesn't let us bring a pool in here, even though every single year somebody asks. We found this church downtown, built back in 1955, founded in uh, you know, 1887, willing to still let us proclaim the gospel, that they, the, the mission stayed the same. And so they said, yes, come down and do your baptism. And so we did the baptism. At the end of the baptism, as many of you know, I was approached by one of the elders of the church, and he asked, hey, our church has dwindled in size, and we feel like it's time for us to, to give this building to the next generation that wants to maintain its story. Would you be willing? And I said, I would. And so we prayed and we thought and we planned and we looked at scripture and we came together and eventually their church voted unanimously to give their entire church building and all of its assets to this church that was wandering and had nothing. That was facing quite a river flood stage because in today's market, building a building like that one would be well beyond our possible dreams. It would take a miracle. So that's exactly what God did. He gave us a miracle. In April of 2017, Main Street and Kesed Church merged 
these two churches became one people because they believed in God's promises and that they remain. They believed in God's people and that they remain. And the only thing left to do was go before God between now and then and ask him what he wanted to do with it. What was his plan? Because it's one thing to cross the Jordan. It's another thing to circle Jericho. <laughs> so we crossed the Jordan. We went over on dry ground people debt-free. I mean, it's amazing. We went over, we turned around, we looked at everybody in the community. I had people calling me I didn't even know. I had people calling me out of state. Is this true? I heard this. What would you do? I didn't do anything. I did nothing, good or bad. I wish I did something good. Like, well, I had this plan. I fasted for 40 days. I circled the building downtown, and I said, God, make it mine. <laughs> How good would that be, right? This man came out and handed me the keys, said, I don't know why I'm here. You're here to give me the keys, dear sir, because I'm starving, right? <laughs> That's not what happened. I did nothing. God did everything. I just walked across, picked up a few stones along the way. Now sitting here today, we get to come to you with what we think through lots of prayer and lots of discussion is our plan for downtown. And someone just pointed this out to me, actually a few people, but someone better than everybody else. Isn't it amazing timing that so much is happening downtown right now in terms of the remodels and facelifts and all the kinds of energy that's going into it? And right in the middle of it, in prime location, is us. Like, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of a little too good to be true, right? It's, it's probably like the Israelites of the promised land. Like, wait a second. These crops are already planted, and these cows are already here. Like, just get rid of the people. We'll take all the rest. You know, it's amazing. We walked in, and it's like, here's the building. Here's the love. Here's the character. And then all these wonderful things are happening around us, and we're part of it. And we get to be part of it. And so I want to reveal to you what we think is our plan. Now, this is going to take some work. This isn't going to be easy. This isn't, this isn't pie-in-the-sky stuff, but it's also not, uh, you know, pie-under-the-table stuff. So this is, this is pie-eat-it-all, difficult, good-and-bad stuff. And it's hard. And it's a word I'd like to use, kind of messy. Should have done a series prepping you guys for this. Oh, wait, we did. It's kind of messy. It's, it's kind of a lot, but I think it's beautiful and amazing, and I feel fully as I present it to you that it's exactly what God has for us. So I'm going to get to it. Amen? All right. First thing I want to put up for you is what we want to call or what they're calling the site parking plan. This is giving you an overall idea of what this is going to look like when our project is done. This building uh, basically needs parking. It needs parking I mean, honestly, it needs parking almost as bad as it needs anything else. And so what we're going to need to do is tear down the existing building that is on the property and turn that into parking. And I know some people are attached to it. I know some people had incredible memories there. But we have a lot of folks in our church that can't walk the distances they need to walk. And so it makes the most sense for us to remove that building and to turn that area all into parking so that we can have easiest access for our people. The one thing I do want to point out on this that we will be keeping is our Kessa Dairy Queen. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> I, I told, I met, I, we, we, it's, this, is a, this is a lot of work to get all this done, more than I ever realized because I don't do this kind of thing. But when I met with the architect, I said, this is great. The one thing it's missing is the Dairy Queen. And he literally was like, what? And I said, yeah, our, our Dairy Queen. It came with a Dairy Queen. And he's like, 
The one, I said, no, it, the building came with a Dairy Queen. Why would I not put that on the plans? And he's like, you're serious. And I said, absolutely. I made him take them back. And so he, we added it. It's right there. So that's our Dairy Queen. Uh, we've had some discussions with Dairy Queen, and it's not all final, but it looks like they're going to be, they're really excited that we're coming. And it looks like they're going to be willing to let us park uh, some of our services in that area as we move forward. So that's a pretty, so I wanted to give you this big bird's eye idea before I got into the building of how this is going to work. There is all kinds of street parking downtown. The downtown culture is very used to this kind of thing. So I don't, I'm not that concerned about parking. We also have an idea to buy a couple shuttle buses and park at some other locations uh, around town that are fairly close so that we can get everybody there. It's, it's, again, it's not ideal. We'd love to have 400 parking spots. But as one person said who works downtown, uh, th there's hardly a vendor downtown that wouldn't be uh, jealous of the amount of parking we do have. And so we're going to take it because it's what God gave us. Amen? Okay. When it comes to the building, when it comes to the building, we're running with a thought that Main Street themselves had uh, back in 1999. And I'll put up their plans, and this is what their plans originally were back in 1999. And this idea was that they wanted to flip the sanctuary. So the opening that comes over here on the Main Street near our Dairy Queen uh, is not the best opening for people to, to enter into. And so what they decided to do and what they hoped to do was flip the sanctuary, create a new entrance, a new foyer, maintain everything else, and put the stage on the far side, opposite where it is, move the balcony, and basically uh, restructure the way the building flows. So, as you'll see with this next slide, that's exactly what we're going to do. This is our first main floor plan. And by the way, um, all of these plans are released online as of right now. We just hadn't told you. They are, we're going to show you where they're at on the website, and we're also going to be displaying them from now on out over on some of the walls over here so you can get a closer look. But I want you to look at this best we can. This is now going to be our sanctuary with our stage on this, on this far wall. It's going to have a brand new foyer. It's going to have new restrooms. It's going to have uh, the offices. If you've been there recently, you've seen that we've remodeled those. They'll stay the same. We're going to add a midweek cafe also that is used on the weekend for us to come in and be a part and hang out with free internet. That'll be that room that is in the back right now we call the community room with the round tables if you've been there. Nursery stays the same and so forth. Okay? That's the main floor plan. Let's go to the mezzanine plan. On the mezzanine plan, basically it's a, it's a much better flow for children to do things this way. So you will come up our newly installed elevator. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And you will walk into a children's lobby. So there will be a whole foyer and a space for people to go in and, and have community with one, one another. And if you don't have kids, you'll walk in, go straight to the balcony, you'll walk up the stairs. And this will be future children's with brand new bathrooms upstairs that will be fit to match the need that we have. Down in the basement. Down in the basement, we will be removing just a few walls to maintain the community room. We'll be building a boardroom a meeting room, and then this will be future office and reception area. This will be where the primary uh, offices will be, including worship and so forth, uh, will be downstairs. And then again, we will be remodeling those bathrooms and doing that. So what does this look like uh, and what does this require? Well, the first thing that it requires is a brand new entrance. So this is what the brand new entrance will look like uh, once we get this all finished. It will basically, as you can see, we've closed off this entrance over here. It's still small for emergency uh, access and stuff. But basically, there will be stairs and an elevator portico 
that is covered on the front side of the entrance. Let me show you a little closer view of it. So as we walk up the stairs, this is a very similar entrance to Clark in terms of width. Or if we, for those that need it, you can walk in main floor into our elevator lobby in this area. Uh, and you can go to anywhere you want inside the building. Pretty good? Yeah. We'll do new windows, and we'll do a new roof, and we'll do all new AC and heat. <laughs> yeah. So let's go inside. Imagine that you walk in and you go inside the foyer. This is what the main foyer will look like. This is what I sneak peek, by the way, for those of you trying to figure out on Facebook last night. It was just this section right here. You'll walk into the main foyer. You'll, you'll see the stairs in the middle that take you to the balcony. There's three sanctuary entrances, cafe down the way, bathrooms and nursery all on that floor. So pretty easy access. Okay, next. You walk to the upper stairs. Come up the stairs uh, into the upper foyer. Two different ac uh, accesses to the balcony. Our audio-visual area, so you guys don't have to hear us talk about all the different things that we're trying to figure out doing in this building. And then a private entrance for kids, which just highly raises security and creative experience and all of these things. We've really leaned into kids inside this building. So uh, it's, it's, it's a pretty important part of uh, what we do. And then last, and the last part to show you is the sanctuary, to which we're changing very little. Because I love it. We're going to keep the beams... We're going to keep um, a lot of the feel. The one thing we are going to do due to seating and our desire to do rooted is we're going to have to remove the pews. So, sorry. But we actually tear everything down and set up round tables and do rooted and do experiences and all those kinds of things. And the pews don't move because they're bolted to the concrete floor. I tried. Right? We, just, we just scoot the 12-foot pews around round tables. You know, it just it didn't work. So... Uh, we're going to obviously remodel this, and uh, you can't zoom in, but I don't know who's speaking on stage this particular week because that guy's wearing a suit. So this must be a guest speaker Sunday, <laughs> this whole thing. <laughs> uh, but uh, but, but it, it's going to be beautiful, and we're going to lean into what the building is about while still bringing the building up to code. Most of this is considered an ADA upgrade, uh, which has been really cool and really helpful, but a lot of this especially the, uh, the new entrance uh, is, is obviously new construction. So here's what we're going to do. We are basically going to do this in phases, and we're going to try to get into the auditorium and the upstairs and downstairs foyers as soon as we can without doing the new entrance just yet, meaning we'll be dealing with stairs and some other stuff for just a little while because we can start on that project while we work with the city to get our new footprint and our new entrance added. And so this is all a lot of work. This is all a, a, a lot of planning and, and a lot of hopes and a lot of dreams. And it's all still fairly messy because not all of it has even been approved. We've met with the city and we've shown them all this. And so far it seems really doable. But if anybody's worked around anywhere in construction, things change. Stuff happens. So here's what God did for us. About, I want to say, uh, well, a few years ago now, there was a man who entered my life that's been with me for a long time. His name is Tom Lovelace. And Tom is a man that I have known since I was born. I actually, my grandma brought me to church as a child in Tom's dad's church. So that's how long uh, we have been doing life together. Well, Tom, through his own uh, spiritual journey, came to a place in his life where he really felt called to come and be our executive pastor. 
and he started coming and being part of our staff meetings and sitting in on our strategy planning. And Tom has an incredible background. As a matter of fact, I'm going to read it while he comes up because I want him to talk with you about how this might work. So can you give Tom Lovelace a hand? Tom has extensive ministry experience with many years of pastoring and eldership roles. He has worked in leadership and finance and staff development. He is currently serving as the executive pastor here at Kesed. His duties right now include overseeing the staff, church finances, and elder board. And one of the reasons, you can come on over, one of the reasons we haven't announced him is because we wanted to wait till we did it with the building because we really felt that part of his duties God brought were for this because Tom made all this commitment before there was ever a building. He was part of it before there was ever this. Once this came, it really felt like God had brought us some incredible provisions. In conjunction with serving in ministry, he also has 35 years of business experience. He currently owns and operates a very successful national business franchise. Being the lar- He hates all of this, by the way, but I told him this has to happen because they have to know that somebody who knows what they're doing is leading this because they, they, it, it won't work with me. And he's like, you can't put that in there. And I'm like, I'm putting all this in there, and you're going to stand there, and you're going to enjoy every ounce of this. 35 years of business experience. He currently owns and operates a very successful national business franchise, being the largest franchise in the system, which includes 82 locations across the United States. He also sits on the advisory board for that brand. Pastor Tom has been married to his wife, Lisa, for 35 years. He has two children and four grandsons. His passion is to serve using the gifts God has given him in leadership, management, and finance. And he upholds the values of accountability, transparency, and stewardship of God's resources. Tom Lovelace is not only our executive pastor, now running the business of the church, but he is also the project manager for what we're calling Kesed Downtown. The project is going to be directed and stewarded by him and the team of people that he puts together along, of course, with our elder oversight, and he is going to lead the team helping execute our remodel and be the point person for the duration of the project. So a couple things I want to clear up before Tom comes over. Uh, First, this project will be titled Kesed Downtown. We have Kesed at Clark, and we have Kesed at Main Street. And people uh, still get a little confused because we have a lot of locations happening right now. So this will be Kesed Downtown. When we're talking about the remodel, the move, what's coming up next, raising funds, that verbiage will all be um, uh, used through the idea of Kesed Downtown. So what I want to do now is I want to have Tom come over here, and he's going to share with you what we think makes the most sense for our church to accomplish this goal. So, thank you. Did I do okay? Yeah, that was rough. Yeah. That was rough. Well, first of all, it's just great to be here with the, with the Clark family. I've been over at the, uh, the downtown uh, Kessel family for about six or seven months. And it's great to be here with you, with the other part of the family, be here with Danny, be here in air conditioning, because um, we do not have air conditioning. I was there this morning, trust me. It's warm over there. Mm. So uh, can we just be here for a while? Is, mm-hmm. that, is that okay? I, yeah, I think that's exactly what's going to no. happen. Uh, but thank you, though. So uh, Danny wanted me to talk about just our finances a little bit. And, uh, you know, we've talked to everyone who would listen to us. We talked to contractors, HVAC guys, the city, our architects. And we feel it's going to be about $2 million to take on this project. And that's a, that's a large number. However, we have almost a whole city block of property a 30,000 square foot building. So just to get it to where we need it, it's not gonna be the Taj Mahal, but just get it to where we can function as a church of our size and also to grow, we feel that's the number that we're gonna shoot for. 
the interesting thing about that is currently um, all the expenses that we have in terms of rent and what we pay for here, uh, the ministry center, everything that goes on is actually that, that loan number will be less than what we're currently paying right now. So, and we've been able to manage that for a couple years, two, three years. So we feel very comfortable with it that we can do that. Um, we've run it by the elders, elders agree. And uh, so we just feel, we feel good about it. And we're gonna, over the next few months, we'll be uh, going to some different lending, op uh, lending institutions and uh, seeing what we can do. But uh, yeah, it's pretty exciting. So for those of you who have done building campaigns before, here's what's unique about ours. The building that we have needs about a $2 million restoration for us to move in. And no, by the way, people have asked, can't we just move in there and figure it out as we go? We cannot. The bathrooms alone would DQ us from being able to have a crowd of this size, uh, let alone with some other issues, as many of you know, like no AC, no heat, and uh, just the way that the building is arranged. So we want to stay here at Clark until we at least get through the first phase while still maintaining services to the best of our ability at Main Street. As Tom said, we are paying between all of the different things that require us to function as a church, renting Clark, renting our, our uh, ministry center, midweek offices, uh, storage, all of the costs of, of doing Rooted and so forth. If you were to look at our monthly outgo, it would equal what getting a loan to do the remodel uh, is or less. So the sooner we can get in the building, actually, the sooner we save money. Uh, it's very unique and really special. Now, what this means for us as a church family is that every dollar we raise, which we're not going to talk about that today, it'll be inside the series, but not today, every dollar we raise is less we have to get a loan and the less money we need, then need to pay out every month and the more that we can put into paying the loan off. Because our goal would be once we move in to pay it off quickly. We don't want to be in debt. We don't want to, to be building heavy. And this, this doesn't change anything about our finances. As a matter of fact, as I said, it saves money. But we still want to be out of debt. So if we as a church could raise, let's say, half a million dollars over the next six months in a church of 700, that's pretty doable. That means our loan is less, our payment is less, and the quicker we can pay the thing off and then move on into other things we want to do downtown. So the resources are there. God's provided all of them. The wisdom and leadership's there. God's provided all of it. It's amazing, right? I mean, could you imagine if I was trying to pull this off? <laughs> it would be horrible. I mean, I would be like, all right, we're going to do a, have you seen the weights with quarters? Let's get everybody bring quarters and nickels and dimes. Let's try to raise some money. It would be rough. But God brought this guy, which means God brought all of these connections and all of these resources. And we believe it's a really, really doable thing. And so we're asking you today to pray about it. To pray about what your part is. To pray about how you, can, how you can help. To pray about certainly what you can give, not only financially, but through your time. There's going to be a lot of stuff we can do ourselves. Again, the series is about this. So we're able to take our time. We're able to breathe. We're not in a hurry. We're not going to be now having every single Sunday about money. It's just not what we're about and not how God has provided for us. Amen? Amen. Will you give Tom a hand one more time? Thank you. Now, I didn't go through these for you in detail because I leaned into the TV, but these boards are all going to be uh, posted for you guys, not only on, uh, on this new web link that we have called Kesed Downtown. Are you able to pull that up? Kesed Downtown is now on our website, and this, this uh, okay, just scroll down, scroll down through that, okay? 
basically is going to track our story, where we're at, and be very uh, specific with different kind of updates. Keep going, keep going. Get down to the Main Street Church history stuff. Uh, keep going. Yeah, so it's, it's going to be expanding and developing, and all the different stuff about the experience are going to be there. Again, we'll be sharing that with you guys today, as well as all of these images are at the bottom, as you can see. And so you can share those, you can talk about those, you can look in depth, because who can see those screens and all the different things that we're planning? Amen? Okay. Okay, but it gets better. It just gets better. Here's the thing. We've talked today about, about the Ebenezer of, of that God called his people when they moved into their home. We talked today about Christ, who is the greatest Ebenezer. And so what I wanted to do today is I wanted to make sure before anything else happens, before we get caught up in all the changes and all the stuff and all the ideas, before anything else happens, I wanted to stop and recognize and honor the Ebenezer that is the gift of Main Street Community Church to Kesson. And I wanted to do it in a way that would last generations. So over the last month or so, we have been very quietly working on building a video that would be our Ebenezer raised up for generations to come of this place, of its textures, of its colors, of the men and women who poured their lives into it. And so I'm excited to present this to you, not only so we, you can see it, so you can share it, but more importantly, so 15, 20 years from now, your kids can share it. And so your kids can see it because you will walk into this building five years from now and it will look different. But I don't want to forget how it did look. And so I hope you enjoy this as we remember together what God did.
church, we will never forget the story of the people who came before us, what they built, what they did, where they placed their building downtown, this place that now God has given to us. We as a church will never forget to remember that the canvas God has given us was painted by those who came before us. And so we raise this as our Ebenezer to remember forever the story of God bringing this little church downtown into a building they don't deserve with the ability to remodel it in a way they don't deserve to bring glory to a God they do not deserve. I am so excited that we get to be a part of this today. I am so excited that we get to be a church that comes forward and proclaims the blessings of God within our home, within our hearts, and within our town. I want to leave you with one verse. It was written to a man named Joshua, and I'll abbreviate. When you think about this challenge and you think about all the stuff that could go wrong with this or what it might be like or the areas we've left out, I want you to think of this one simple verse. God's talking and he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Lord, we proclaim over this place right now the coming of your blessing, the coming of your of your. Uh, God, the coming of your grace upon our lives as you just open up for us this, this incredible road ahead. I ask, Lord, that in this room right now that your spirit would just move as people look at their own lives and at their own path and their own way that they're flowing and working and ask, God, where is it that you are moving them? Where is it that you are encouraging them? Where is it that you're holding them back? May they have courage, God, to step forward. May they, God, once stepped forward. May they raise an Ebenezer of faith and truth to proclaim to all around them, not just now, but for generations to come, that this was a place God did something powerful. May our city, may our neighbors, may we ourselves experience power beyond our understanding over this next season of ministry that we begin to move into. Thank you, Lord, for every person here. Thank you for every part that they will play. And thank you be, for being a God that pours forth his blessings into our lives. We lift your name above it all and all of God's people said, amen.